and welcome to Bad Decisions. The podcast that helps us understand why we choose what we choose, why we think what we think, and how to exploit this stuff for fun and commercial gain. I'm Dr. Mel Weinberg. I'm a performance psychologist. And I'm Dan Monheit, co-founder of Hard Hat. So obviously this is a podcast about different heuristics. Yep. Right? That's Generally, what I'm that's what we do. For. And we've been talking about all sorts of different heuristics and ways that we come about making decisions. And some of them have gotten quite complex. You know, we talk about, we've talked about all sorts of different things, but most of them have to do with things like um, social conformity, classical conditioning, just things being, how to make things more inherently attractive, right? Yeah. And I feel like in all of this complexity and us trying to sound really smart about this stuff, we've sort of overlooked something really quite simple. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna wind it back. We're going back to basics. <laughs> we're going back. We're going back to basics, and we're going back to the idea of simple exposure, mere exposure, if you will. Me, if I will, <laughs> I, w- I will. <laughs> the mere exposure effect was sort of not even called a heuristic originally. It's an effect that describes our tendency to prefer things simply because we've been exposed to it repeatedly. Just hang on one second. Did we just just drop what the topic for today's thing is with without any fanfare whatsoever? We did. Can we cue some fanfare for the mere fanfare, exposure please. effect, please? Turn down for what? Adequately fanfared? <laughs> so the mere exposure effect was introduced to us in around the 1960s mm-hmm. by a Polish social psychologist, Robert Zayantz. Can I just say before we get too deep into the mere exposure effect? Yeah. Uh, like as a, as a title of a heuristic, I like mm. that it doesn't- It doesn't, it doesn't oversell it. No, it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> promise too much. It's just like literally going to do what it says on the tin. Yeah. It's like, we know we're not like a crazy, amazing heuristic. It's just the mere exposure effect. Yeah. Very subtle, yeah. unassuming- yeah, it's like Mere. the mere good-looking enough husband. <laughs> that's all. That's so, all. That's all we're talking about. Yeah, that's a humble heuristic. I like it. Yeah. So Zayance back in the 1960s, way before a lot of the sort of more contemporary behavioral economic stuff was happening. And to be fair, Zayance, I mean, the research that he was basing his his whole effect on, I guess we'd say a little bit. A little, little bit basic, maybe in terms yeah, of some uh, of the research the that times, we do now. And remember, remember, it's the sixties, and so there's a lot of research on animals yep. right, happening back there. But before we had real ethics, right? Sixties. Yeah. Um, remember, we this were, is Poland in we the sixties. Savages, yeah. <laughs> so one of the early studies that is cited um, with regard to the mere exposure effect has to do with experimenters playing tones to unhatched chicks. Okay, so I was bracing for something pretty bad from an animal cruelty perspective. <laughs> playing music you know, to eggs. Yeah, play, okay, playing music a, to right. unhatched chicks. And they were playing – music might be a bit generous. They were playing tones of different frequencies. Well, Poland's greatest hits <laughs> so, from the 1960s. And one of the tones would be repeated more frequently yep. than the other. And then when the chicks were hatched, yeah. they were assessing which tone the chicks preferred. And – Granted, I have no idea how they were yeah, doing it's this. Like, what, what are the chicks buying on iTunes? I, <laughs> I'm assuming that they're doing some sort of little chicken dance to R- one yeah. of the tones and the other one they're just going, no, I don't like this. Right. But however they assessed it, they established that chicks had a preference for the tone that they'd heard more frequently so when D- they were unhatched. DJ Zayon in the chicken club knows how to get the, <laughs> get the dance floor <laughs> pumping. He knows which tracks are the bangers and which ones is just going to clear the floor. <laughs> 
that's what was happening, right? Yeah. Um, well, another, I, wish, I wish I could have been there to see this happening. Another study that Zayant cites in 1968, um, I'll, I'll actually read to you the, the story because it's better when it's read. Okay. It says, a mysterious student has been attending a class at Oregon State University for the past two months enveloped in a big black bag. <laughs> <laughs> Only <laughs> well, I, as you, I'm imagining like, oh, they have an exchange student. It's like that. <laughs> the new kid in class. Yeah, <laughs> but he's what? enveloped. He's enveloped so, in a big. So black he's like bag. wearing a giant black bag. <laughs> yeah, only his bare feet show. What? Each Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 11 a.m., the black bag sits on a small table near the back of the classroom. What? The professor of the class only knows the identity of the person inside. Well, how does he get? None of he, the 20 students in the class do. How does he get into the classroom? Does it have a little eye, like a little mailbox eye hole cut out? <laughs> must. Can you imagine? This is like the, it's like I really wanted to put him in a mascot costume, but I had like a dollar thirty, and so all I could do <laughs> was buy a, a big buy black a garbage bag. bag. Research funds were not going very far. Yeah, so. So that's what happens. So 20, he's coming into the class yeah. and basically stumbling at the start, over, stumbling he's not, he's not talking, he's not engaging, he's just literally sitting there. Yeah. And obviously at the start everyone's looking at him like going, like, dude, this is a bit weird. Yeah. Like what's going on here? Right? But the professor's acting as if he's completely normal. I just would love to have been in the brainstorm where they were coming up with ideas <laughs> for this experiment. It's like what about we take a student and we put them in a black bag and just sit on the back of the room and see what happens? Yeah. And what happened? Well, the uh, I mean, at the start, obviously, people thinking this guy's a bit weird. They were sort of approaching him with a bit of sort of defensiveness and hostility, That's as you would, because like everybody's dressed normally, and this guy's coming enveloped yeah. in a big black bag. But after a couple of classes, as he keeps attending, people's attitudes towards him changed, Your and his classmates, his classmates started to actually have an affinity for him, and actually, they even liked him. What? And they they acted a lot more friendly towards him. This is bizarre. Him. Yeah. This was also in Poland in the sixties. So look, I mean, to be fair. Like, Zayons was onto something. He just maybe didn't have the, the I guess, the integrity of the research to really but, really back it up. But, like, a ma- just like a mannequin maybe or like a pet? So like, look, there's a lot of options really I mean, there other are a lot than of different putting ways. a guy in a black bag for three days a week. Yeah, and, I mean. Can, can I, we do a follow-up story and try and find that kid? <laughs> Should we try to repeat the experiment? <laughs> I want to find the guy. The poor kid who was and covered just, in And black just bag. see how his life has panned out for him. It's like people liked me better when I was covered in a the black, black bag. bag. Yeah, maybe a side project yeah, for you right. and I to explore. Yeah, but if black of, bag guy, if you're out there, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Re- reach out. <laughs> We'd love to hear from you. So, so like, well, look, we can think about why this happens. And if you think about why this happens, I mean, it's it's basic, right? This is oh, the mere totally, exposure totally effect. Basic. So let's this keep why, it basic. This is why I wear a black bag <laughs> Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays. It's bloody obvious. <laughs> so, look, the thing is that anytime you're exposed to something for the first time, you're, you're wired to see it as a threat. It could be dangerous to you. For all of your brain knows, and remember we've talked before about how your brain is fundamentally driven to keep us alive, Mm -hmm. anything that is new or that you have not encountered before is going to be seen as threatening. Yeah. So you respond to black bad guy with hostility. Yeah. With each repeated exposure, you learn, hang on, this person, this thing, this black bad guy or whatever new stimulus it is and I can actually coexist in this world. Yeah. So this thing is, in fact, no threat to my survival whatsoever, in which case, all right, this is safe to engage and you start to sort of become more curious about it and become more interested in it and effectively like it more. Yeah. Right? And next thing you know, you and and Snoop Baggy Bag are just (laughs) hanging out. Just with the chicken club. Getting milkshakes. (laughs) Yep, and it's all happening. So it took until 1992 for people to develop a more real-life, I guess, version of the Black Bag experiment and um, they thought, how can we how can we try this a different way? And what they did was they back into college classes where 
all good yeah, psychology good studies yeah. happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what they did was they chose four women who were not at all involved in the college but mm-hmm. were sort of college age, maybe from a different college. Um, they wanted them to be completely unknown to the actual people attending the class. They had four different women who were rated equally by others on their attractiveness, all those sorts of things, and they popped them into the classroom Mm -hmm. but at different times or for different amounts of time. So, for example, one person, one of these women might have attended the class five times, Mm -hmm. one of them attended ten times, one of them attended 15 times and one of them attended not at all. In bags or just in their regular outfits? No, just just regular But, you know, they'd sit up the back of the class and they weren't sort of participating in the class, they weren't really talking to anybody sitting by themselves. At the end of the the sort of experimental time, what they did was they presented photographs of these four people to all of the people people in the class, yeah. and they asked them to rate them all on their likability. Rate for hotness. Yeah, and wow. what they found was that the person who had been exposed to them the most, so the one who'd attended 15 times, yeah. was rated as much more likable as the ones that they'd seen less frequently. Yeah. I mean, this is great. Look, if, if you are not the most attractive person in the world, and I'm going to put my hand up and say, look, I'm probably not top 10 in the world, this is very encouraging. Like, if I just keep turning up, people are just going to find me They're more and more like attractive. Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah, you just, don't even have to talk. I mean, that's the cool thing maybe about. Maybe I shouldn't talk but at all. I think like that's the cool thing for me about this, um, this effect is that a lot of the other effects have to do with people interacting or engaging with the stimulus. Yeah. And like this is a mere exposure. Yeah. Like you don't need to have spoken to this thing. You don't need to have interacted in any sort of way. There's just for some reason that when this thing or when this person enters your perceptual awareness, yeah. and if it does so repeatedly, you're going to like it. Yeah. So I mean, really, like at a fundamental level here, what we're saying is. The more often you are exposed to a thing, the more familiar it becomes, the more open and likable you, you might feel towards it. Yeah. Which is wonderful for advertising. Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, basically that's what we're trying to do, right? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, maybe before we get into the guts of advertising, some of the other things that come to mind for this are the ability for cover songs. Mm-hmm. You know, so a song that was done 30 years earlier to mm-hmm. come back and it's like instantly racing up the charts because yeah. everybody's preconditioned to like it. Yeah. I think about retro fashion, like at the moment in the sneaker yeah. world, like um, these feelers that were massive in the 90s yeah. have just blown up and they're okay. everywhere. And it's like people were, I guess people have been pre-exposed. Like if you need, let's say, a thousand exposures to like something, yeah. if people already had 980 exposures back while they were growing up. Then all you got to do. Then all you got to do is just, <laughs> is just top them up with, with the extra 20. And so all of a sudden I start seeing why, um, cover songs and retro fashion and styles and retro brands can come back so quickly and mm. with such ferocity mm. because we're kind of like it's the, the mere exposure is pre-baked. Yeah, yep, it's already in there. I'm, I'm actually glad you took us to the music industry because I do have another research study that I stumbled across. More research. When I was yes. looking at the mere exposure effect, and it's just from last year, um, it's a 2018 study about mere exposure effects in the real world. And what uh, Georgios Apakumban, and I'm sure I haven't pronounced that properly, but um, but what he did was he looked at Eurovision. Great. So we have some Eurovision fans out there. I'm sure we got some great Eurovision music. Oh, I'm sure we have Eurovision music. I wish you could see the Eurovision costumes. <laughs> so with Eurovision, obviously, I mean, I'm not a big Eurovision fan, Come I must admit. Yes, you but are. Maybe you just need to watch it more. That's maybe. <laughs> maybe that's what will happen. Yeah. But the um, the voting system and the way that it, that you sort of get through is that 
my understanding at least, is that countries or performances will compete mm-hmm. um, and so there will be exposure to the audience and the top ten, say, who were voted in will make it through to the finals. But in the finals, they are met by the top ten from the previous year. Mm-hmm. And so when you get to the finals, you've got a natural, naturally existing uh, mere exposure effect where you've got half of the contestants who have been heard before and half of them who you're hearing for the first time. Yeah, I can see where and this so then is we can look end. at Yeah, we can yeah. look at the voting patterns and what actually happens is that when you take out, when you account for other factors like the actual quality of the song, which yeah. can be questionable when it comes to Eurovision. The songs that were performed or that were exposed more, like performed twice to the audience, placed higher than those that were only performed once. So this was between the years of 2008 and 2015. And this just gets me thinking, why don't I get to watch this sort of stuff and count things and do this sort of research? Yeah, you've wasted your career basically not watching Eurovision. Yeah. I mean, I think this mere exposure effect is as basic as it is profound. It's like so obvious that the Mm. the, the more often you see something or the more often you're exposed to it, the the more open you are to it. Like I notice this even in my own newsfeed where I'll see an article once and I won't click on it. I'll see it twice. I won't click on it. By the third time I see it, it's like, oh, maybe I actually I'm kind of curious about this. Like I feel that yeah. it, it has worn me down. Yeah. It's so fundamental, so basic, but also so profound. Like maybe we've just over-engineered everything and really all we need to do is just Merely exposed. Merely exposed. <laughs> Maybe that's yeah. as basic as it gets. I mean, one other thought just on this this whole retro thing, and I sort of watched on with interest at the Pokemon Go craze from a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people really misinterpreted what happened there. So, you know, there was this augmented reality app that came out where you got to use your phone to try and hunt for Pokemon characters around the cities that you lived in. And I think a lot of people looked at that and decided that the success here was it was a really good application of the technology. Mm-hmm. that augmented reality and gamification and all these other buzzwords are what had come to play there. And it would seem to me that the, the bit that people really missed out on understanding the success of Pokemon Go was the pre-exposure or the premier exposure of all these people in their 30s now had watched this show in mm-hmm. their, you know, 10s and, and 20s, you know, teens, yeah. sorry, 10s and teens. Yeah. So we're, were pre-exposed to, to like this. And so it wasn't just putting together a cool new phone mm-hmm. application, mm-hmm. it was like putting a cool new phone application together for a thing that millions of people had already been exposed to and built favourability yeah. for 20 years earlier. So you're like capitalising on the On pre, pre-exposure. pre-baked exposure. Yeah. so you got to plant the seed early for this stuff, right? Yeah, and <laughs> and I, I wonder if in a lot of ways the, the window for this is closed, right, because we've got the last generation that grew up, at least in Australia, with three commercial TV channels and two newspapers, right, and where we had people at scale exposed to the same jingles, the same TV shows, the same cartoons. Mm -hmm. And I think about the way kids consume media today and it is this infinitely fragmented landscape and people just watch what they want when they want from all over the world. And that idea of having a mass um, like strata of the population all pre-exposed to the same thing at the same time, Mm -hmm. I think think is finished. Mm. So I think think retro – Trying to retro Bring stuff back, in 20 years yeah. is, is going to be hard because yeah. you're not going to have that baseline yeah. that we have to play with today. Yeah, unless you create it now. Yeah, but what I'm saying is it's hard to <laughs> create now because that mass exposure of a whole population to the same TV show or the same jingle or yeah. the same message just yeah. kind of isn't yeah. isn't possible like it used yeah. to be. Yeah, fair enough. Give us some give us some tips for advertising because I've got plenty more to talk about in regards to the mere exposure effect, but give us some practical stuff. Okay, cool. So the, the really obvious thing with this – right, is that we just need to get our brand in front of people, right? So when you're an advertiser, you are paying for every exposure 
whether people understand that it is from your brand or not from your brand. And really, I, I think the, the biggest takeaway from this is that there's no point in making stuff that is not easily associated with your brand, mm-hmm. right? Because mere exposure to your brand will build likability. And so core to that is understanding what we call either distinctive assets or brand code or like some small collection of unique attributes that are very easily identifiable as your brand. So it might be shapes, it might be words, uh, it might be fonts, it might be tones, uh, Mm. logos and typefaces, Mm. all of that sort of stuff so that people immediately know Oh, that was a piece of communication from that brand. Yeah. It's actually interesting that how, like, we've talked about things that you can see or people or um, tones that play to chicks, but one of the, um, one of Zayance's early studies actually looked at Chinese characters. So for people who had no exposure um, to Chinese symbols or characters, et cetera, and they would show them the different characters and the same thing that they would find that people actually had, people had a preference for the characters that they'd seen more times. Yeah, even though even though it meant nothing to them, right? They didn't understand it, and so yeah. it's just a it's just a visual image of something. It's just a character. Yeah, and and so there was no question in my mind that we would pick brands and we would pick stocks and we would pick all sorts of other things in life for no objective reason other than that they're more familiar. Mm-hmm. And so if I think about some applications of this in the real world, where like if you think about some of the most iconic brands that we have, whether that's in the, the automotive world or in fashion or in fast food or in food and beverage, their logos. And the key visual distinctive assets stay the same. Yeah. You know, the Coke logo looks the same. The Nike swoosh looks the same. And you just get exposed to it over and over and over again. And there's no question when you see a Nike logo, whether that is a logo from Nike or from somebody else. Mm. Sometimes one of the places where this goes wrong is as marketers, we get bored and we like to create new brands and sub brands and we like to update our, our look and feel to stay more contemporary. Mm-hmm. And I think we forget that we get bored and move on much quicker than our consumers do. And actually what the great brands of the world show us is that if we just hold the line and just keep using our distinctive assets early and over and over again, it's going to be far more successful in chopping and changing. And mm-hmm. a great example of this at the moment is Coca-Cola, who their brand architecture really sort of spiraled out of control where that sub brands and different products look completely differently. And in the last 12 months, they've brought everything back in together under this one Coke. So every can is red. Every bottle basically looks the same. And there's maybe a 15% variation. It's like a color stripe at the top. So the normal Coke is red and Coke Zero has got a little black strip at the top and Diet Coke has a little silver strip at the top. But 85, whatever it is, percent of the can or the bottle is exactly the same for every product. Yeah. Because you're just getting exposed over and over and over again to the same visual assets. Yeah. You know, one of the cool things about mere exposure for me is, and something that makes it different to a lot of the other uh, um, heuristics that we've talked about, is how we don't even have to be aware that it's happening to us. Like I mentioned before, how we don't even have to interact with it or we don't have to, you know. You can be an egg. Like (laughs) it could be an egg. You can be an egg. (laughs) You can be an egg and it still works. But there's some research that shows that the mere exposure effect occurs subliminally as well, which of course is super important for advertising. Um, But just to sort of speak to that a little bit, there was a study by Bornstein, Leone and Galley in 1987 and basically they had people doing a task that was completely unrelated, just something that was sufficient enough to capture their attention and say they're doing it on this old-style computer screen. Um, well, that would be sort of, I guess, a modern take on it. So imagine you're doing something on a computer screen and you're not aware of what's going on because you think you're just doing this task but actually what's happening is that you're getting flashed 
photos of faces that sit on the screen for about four milliseconds, uh-huh. so not even enough for it to sort of register cognitively. Um, and some of these, there's different faces getting shown, but some of them are getting shown more than others, yeah. right? At the end of the you doing this task, when they ask, you know, did anything weird happen? Like, did you yeah. did you notice anything? And you're like, no, like I wasn't actually doing just, anything. Just a, so it's just actually a guy in a black bag like, sitting up in the back of the room. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this that, is the bag. Normal. It's subliminal, right? So yeah. you actually aren't even aware that anything is happening to you, that you're being exposed to anything. Yeah. And still when you're asked afterwards which of those, you know, to rate the attractiveness of these faces, you're going to rate the ones that were flashed more times. Yeah. More, like as more likeable. Like yeah. how crazy is that? Like yeah. you don't even, you're not even aware of this in the slightest. You have no idea this is even happening to you. This is scary when it comes to advertising. Well, for consumers. Yeah. So for me, I mean, straight away, two things jump out about this. I mean, one is that, there's a lot of bemoaning in the industry about how, you know, um, a lot of the digital platforms like Facebook and YouTube will count an ad view as three seconds or five seconds or two seconds. Yeah. And so it's, it's outrageous. You can't count. Like people, people haven't actually viewed it, right? Yeah. yeah. But one more we can see is in two seconds, you know, you, you only need four milliseconds for somebody to subconsciously notice what the brand is mm. or what the image is. Yeah. The rest of the you can just stretch out. So yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not saying this is the this is the cure for advertising. I mean, yeah. obviously, we want to build emotional connections with people, and we want to be able to do tell great stories. But just the exposure, the mere exposure, is important, and that is a thing that you can do if you get your key distinctive assets in within the first one second of the ad. Right. You should stop complaining. The yeah. other thing that this just brings to mind is what a dangerous slippery slope stalking is. Yeah. So if you kind of <laughs> like someone, and then just you look at this heuristic, and it's like if I look at them more. Yeah. From across the street in a tree with binoculars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to like them all, but the other side is if you actually just walk past them, yeah. right? You don't even have to interact with them. You don't yeah. have to say anything. Just creepily happen to walk past them more than a couple of times. Yeah. They, you'll become more familiar to them yes. and they may actually like you. So if you're This stalk- is not how we promote going about meeting new people no. or, try, you know. But there, there is hope for stalkers. We, we don't endorse stalking, stalking, but we can- Understand. The problem with stalking is that it's one way. What you need is a mutual <laughs> stalking appreciation and everyone's just going to fall deeply in love with one another. You know, thinking like that, and I mean, well, not thinking like that, but in, in sort of the same vein, you can see how um, online dating apps have sort of taken on the mere exposure effect to a degree. And whether they've done it on purpose or not, I'm not sure. I'm sure they have because they're, yeah, smart. they're smart people behind them. But, you know, those apps where you're shown literally just a face of somebody who you've never seen before, yeah. usually, and you're given the option to you know, like it or reject it, yeah. one or the other. And I think at the start what was happening with these was that you just go through the pool, yeah. right, and you just go through the pool of options, like, dislike, whatever, but the apps became a bit more clever and they started actually repeating some of the ones that you'd already rejected, Yeah. right? This is mere exposure. Yeah. You have no idea about this person. You have no interaction with this person, but you're seeing them more and they're banking on the fact that because of the mere exposure effect, at some point you're going to go, oh, yeah, now I like them. Yeah, or you're going, wow, this pool is a lot shallower than I anticipated. <laughs> I can't believe I'm seeing this guy again. I just swiped no four people ago. Maybe I should give him a shot. Either way, there are clearly a lot of applications of this in the yes. world. Yeah. So, I mean, we talked for, for brands, really, it is as simple and as complex as getting your your brand code, your key distinctive assets in front of people mm-hmm. as often as possible. Yeah. Um, and like this idea from a few years ago about maybe we should just make great content and not actually tell people that it's from our brand. If your objective is just to entertain the people of the world, go for it. But if mm. your objective is to sell some stuff, make sure people know what brand it's from and make sure they know early. Yeah. Um, what about as, as just normal people going about life? How can, other than a mutual stalking appreciation, um, where where can this take us? I think this is about how we go about 
choosing new things or trying new things, mm-hmm. right? Because we've got to remember that because of the mere exposure effect or because of the way that we're just fundamentally wired, the first time we're exposed to something, we're probably not going to like it. Yeah. So when it comes to trying a new food, for example, first time you taste it, you're probably going to be a bit hesitant. Yeah. Try it more than once. I think this so, is the thing with, with it, like kids when you start introducing food, you're meant to tr- make them try it like three or four or five times. Yeah. Because they're not they're just not going to like yeah. it the first time. And at we're all. not supposed to. Yeah. Right? We're not supposed to. It could be dangerous. It could be... It could be disgusting to us. So what we actually need to do is commit to trying something new more than once. Right. I'm not sure how many times is the right number. Yeah. But it has to be more than once. Right. Because the first time, chances are we're not going to like it. Right. So if you decide I would like to be a more sophisticated version of myself, I'm going to go to the ballet. Mm -hmm. Once is not adequate. I must commit. (laughs) Get a season ticket. (laughs) Season ticket. Go at least three times. Yeah. And then make a call on if you like it or don't like it. Sure. What, what do we got here? Let's. I think, look, I think at the end of the day, I think what we come back to is that if you were to walk in somewhere, your best chances of being liked, <laughs> yeah, envelop yourself yeah, in a big yeah. black bag because the world would be a much better place. Not immediately, but you need to envelop yourself in a big <laughs> black plastic bag and turn up for like a whole semester yeah. and eventually people will yeah. love you. Yeah, just stick it out. All right, life advice yeah. from Dr. Sounds, Mel. <laughs> sounds good, right? All right, awesome. So, mirror exposure effect. Uh just, just seeing it more. Just gonna, the tendency for us like to it. like something, just purely because, merely because we've been exposed to it. Yeah, brands get your stuff out there early and consistently. People go to the ballet at least three times before you decide you don't like it. Sounds like a Is that a wrap? <laughs> yeah, awesome. All right, catch you next time. See ya.